Welcome to this podcast. This is a collaborative podcast recorded by Malvina. Hi everybody and welcome to the final podcast by She Sustains on the Stories That Matters event. Today we will listen to uh, the podcast by Dr. Molan Mugisha Otem and she shared an amazing story of her time coming to the Netherlands and her experience that she gained in that time. So Dr. Molan Mugisha Otem was born and raised in Uganda and has lived in the Netherlands since December 2006. As an expatriate in an intercultural marriage, she is also raising two multilingual children in The Hague. She has over 10 years experience working in early childhood education. She's an author, including So Said Grandma, and owner of Molen Cares, who enjoys teaching others to live life to the full with great knowledge, good health, and a positive outlook on life. At each phase of a journey after leaving Uganda, she insisted on integrating but not losing her identity, her culture and her language. This is something she still tries to transfer to her two young kids. As a woman, she was always clear on what she wanted to achieve, but she was not always certain how, but she did not allow that to discourage her. She focused on what she had and what she could offer and this approach enabled her to secure her first job outside of her medical background at a small company dedicated to children's education. Molen, though a busy mom and interested in so many activities at work, home, church and other social spheres, is focused on contributing towards enabling children of different cultures so that they thrive and fulfill their optimum potential while embracing their own identity. This she encourages by starting with her own kids and by writing two books with the latest entitled So Said Grand which are wise quotes from her grandmother. Molen challenged us all to focus on what they can give and do what they each could do with the means available and not let limitations like time and skill discourage us. Thank you so much to all our participants for attending the sessions. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Christy. And uh, I would like to warmly welcome everyone. It's really nice to have um, a platform where we share our stories because when you read about something, it doesn't make as much sense when, somebody, when you hear it in a story of somebody you know, and then it, it comes closer to home. So thank you, Vina, and thank you, Christy, for making this possible. And uh, when Vina asked me, uh, when Christy asked me to share my story, I thought, what story? <laughs> because wh when you look at your life in your own eyes, it's, it's an ordinary life. I mean, you're just going about your business, trying to do what you need to do to survive, to keep your family or to keep your life going. So when she said, uh, can you share your story? And I was thinking, what story? And then also because I'm the kind of person who has my hand in everything, which can be a, a handicap, but it is also a, a kind of strength that in, in any situation I can find my way. So like Christy said, I'm a medical doctor. I grew up in Uganda. I trained in Uganda. And so all my younger life and education was in Uganda. But also growing up in Uganda, I kind of grew up in two places. I grew up my first eight years, eight to 10 years, I was with my grandmother in the village. And then I lived in the city. And so I, and then I was in a school which was considered like a, a, first, a first world school uh, for, for the, where everyone, the kids of the, 
the politicians and the, the experts went to school. Then, then there were no international schools. So when I went to secondary school, I was in that kind of school. So I find that my life, throughout my life, when I was in Uganda, it spanned from village life, city life, interacting with ordinary people, inter interacting with extraordinary people, that um, somehow I always fitted in. I found my way. And so it, it, it was... Uh, it was easy when my husband was relocated to Holland for me to imagine how I would find my way. I mean, I th I'm very simplistic and I'm very optimistic and I had just completed medical school and worked for a year in Uganda when my husband said, okay, we move to Holland. And I thought, okay, let's do, do that. So I thought, this is going to be easy. I get there. I read about it and I thought I, I will reach Holland. Um, I have to do the exams for um, uh, joining the medical profession. And then after that, I'll start working. Then we'll have a family. And it seemed like, you know, a perfect life in the making. So when we arrived in, in, uh, in Holland in December 2006, it was one of the coldest winters and I'm not a winter person, at least I'd never experienced winter in my life. It was a big shock because I was thinking of this life, I'm a very outdoor person, meeting people, getting my feet around and I couldn't go anywhere. It, it, we used to walk to church, we lived near church and just the walk to church, I would get a, a blocked nose I, and I thought, what is this? What am I getting myself into? But anyway, soon spring comes and, and summer comes. And then in May, I thought, you know, I'm going to start setting up my life. I had already registered into a master's course in uh, applied ethics because I was also thinking I don't want to practice medicine straight away. I want to see some other side of life. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'm going to look around, see what else is there. And I saw a very beautiful advert of kids that looked very happy. And it was advertising for people who want to work in the summer camps for international school. So it was very, very inviting. Said, are you an international person with a passion for children and would like to work part-time in the summer camp? This is for you. So I thought, interesting. Now, I'd never written a CV in my life because... Um, if you know about medicine, you finish, you, uh, the internship location is chosen for, you don't need a CV in Uganda, at least as a doctor. And then uh, I, uh, my internship profession was chosen when I finished, my uh, where to practice was chosen. I'd never written a CV, but I wrote one anyway. And I hadn't intended any of Vina's beautiful courses of how to get your CV to adjust it. I just simply wrote it and I said, it can't be that hard. And then I applied for the summer job. I thought I have a summer job. And in September, when I start my university, I will have made some money because of course, from December to May, I'd run out of my savings. So I didn't get a call. I didn't get an email back. I got nothing back. I thought, okay. So I went on with my life. And uh, in September, I started my master's. And uh, when I started master's, it was um, all the way traveling to Utrecht every day. That was interesting and I was studying, it, it's a philosophical master that I was doing and for me from a science background it was really like I thought what is it, how is it possible that everyone is right? I mean somebody puts up their hand and is saying an answer and I'm thinking that's a stupid answer, like how can you even think that? And then the professor is saying yeah that's a point of view, that's a way to look at it and I'm thinking what kind of people are these? You're either right or you're wrong, you can't be in between. <laughs> So it was also like a big, the first time I was venturing out of the science background and it was quite interesting because I thought, okay, well, I guess that's how it goes. And like, like I said, I'm very adaptable. By the end of the year, I had uh, I'd opened my mind somehow. But while I, in the first three months of starting my master, I got a call from the childcare company that I had applied for the summer job. And this was in October. So again, I thought I have nothing to lose. They called me because there was no one else to call and they were really stuck and they needed someone who was ready to start straight away. So my name just popped up. So I went for this interview and uh, my boss, the one who was inviting me, first of all, I got lost. I was late for half an hour. And she's like the worst at direction. So she said, 
oh, you need to go here. She's never used public transport. I was using public transport. <laughs> so eventually I was at Overbosch at the pool. I said, I'm at the pool. I'm going to stand there and you have to find me. And so she found me and the interview was 10 minutes. She looked at me and said, okay, you're hired. I said, what do I have to do? She said, um, just you have to look after kids and we'll train you. And it's two to three days a week, afternoons. So I told them I'm already studying, so I can only work in the days when I'm not going to school. And that was the goal. So we started and um, I was learning on the job. I mean, I'd worked with kids in the pediatric ward, so I was thinking, how, how hard can it be? And it was mainly playing with the kids, making meals for them. I love to cook. So I got the training and along the way, three months later, there was a new branch and they said, oh, you're doing very well and we need a group leader. Would you like to do it? I said, okay, this is very interesting. And so fast forward, it's been 13 years in the same company because when I finished my master, I started to apply for jobs. All the jobs, I didn't speak much Dutch. So all the jobs were in companies all over Europe. And my first job, which was um, a, a very interesting job in the World Health Organization in Geneva. So that was in May, 2008. And in May 2008, I was already uh, pregnant with my first child. So I looked at the prospect of going to Geneva on my own. The, the pay wasn't that good. The cost in Geneva was so expensive. <clears throat> and I was just going to have a child. So I made the conscious decision. I said, I'm going to stay here. First have the baby. See how it goes. And after all, I have a job. I was still working at the childcare in the afternoons. It was part time. And it gave me a lot of free time in the morning to do things. I attended every course or meeting or networking event that was there. They are normally in the morning. So everything that was offered for experts, for Shell, Dutch stuff, I started to do a Dutch course at a, a community center where it was free. And I thought I can improve my Dutch. So I started to do a Dutch course there. So I did everything during my time. I call, I call that the gathering years. I was just mm. gathering knowledge, gathering information and just doing my work. And so I, I declined the job in Geneva and uh, my husband was supportive because he thought, you know, we just came here. We just uh, started life together because while I was doing medical school, he was studying in the UK. So we were apart already for five years dating. In those days, it was not as easy as it is because you would have to go to an internet cafe or write letters, which would take about a month to arrive. So we didn't want to be apart again. And so I had the baby and uh, I stayed in, in, the, in, the, in the company. And a few, just six months after I had the baby, we were opening, venturing into daycare, opening up a new branch again because the company was growing. And I worked in English, so it was so easy. And so my boss approached me and said, now you have a little one and we're starting daycare and I can see nobody better than you to, do the, the, to be the daycare manager. <laughs> so I thought, good idea, as long as I can get some discount for my son. And that was the deal. So this was a perfect deal for me because I went to work with my child and then I came back home at the end of the day. And it was uncharted territory because the, in, as a company, we had never done daycare. So as it was growing, I was growing in skill. I did a little bit of training and I did more understanding of how to do it. So we started everything from scratch together, her and I, and it was a, a perfect time to grow. In the first two, three years of that, I grew probably professionally in my management skills, in my uh, practice skills, and also in my time management skills. It was extremely difficult coming from Africa. When you have a child, you can have like two maids. You can have the maid to clean and cook and you have the maid just for the kids. You can even have a third one to iron and you know, but here I am in, in Europe doing it all by myself. And when I was in Uganda, I never needed to drive. Or maybe I wasn't allowed because by, when you wanted to go somewhere, you had the driver take you. So I'm in Holland, I don't know how to drive, I have a child. Winter, getting to work with a child on the prom was extremely difficult. So my boss said, I'll give you a car because we had a company car. He said, you can take the company car, but I can't drive. So my husband would drop us, then he goes to work and we can only wait till he comes back 
So I was working like from 7.30 and I wouldn't be home till 7. And you still have to cook. We're an African family. You cook a fresh meal every day. Plus that my husband does not really like leftovers. So these kinds of cultural differences and just trying to manage, but also to grow in career. And by then it was a conscious decision that I wanted to do childcare and I wanted to grow in childcare. And so people kept asking me, so you are a doctor, but you are in childcare. And my introduction form at the entrance of the daycare says, Dr. Molin Mugisha, and parents would ask me, they're like, so you're a doctor? I said, yes. And don't you want to practice? I said, no. And when they asked me, I said, you know, I did enough night shifts, I did enough weekend shifts, and now I have a baby, I'm alone in this country, I don't have a maid or any extra help, no grandparents, nobody, this is a perfect job for me. I said, when they are grown, I can do something else. So I stayed and I really grew, and uh, as we got more and more branches expanding, I was also going higher. Small companies grow very... Uh, unusually so new positions come up and normally then I was automatically uh, for the next position so while I was there I worked in HR I worked in childcare on the floor like looking after the kids I worked in management I worked in operations I worked in training because I'm a very adaptable and I learn really fast so I, I could I could really morph myself into what was needed and until today I'm known as one of those people if there's something to do I'll do it Sometimes if there was somebody uh, missing and the job like working on the group, I could really move from my uh, office and just go work with the kids. So for me, that was very easy. So while I was growing professionally in childcare, I, like I said, I'm also a very community oriented person. I was also called in several places like churches and um, different groups to give talks on child, um, sometimes on childcare, but also mainly on healthcare. So I did that out of pleasure. I never charged, but sometimes, you know, at the end of it, they'll give you flowers and maybe a small envelope. So I never charged, I never asked for any fees, but I enjoyed it. But that kind of introduced me to two different, again, uh, dynamics of people. I'm kind of in the expert world, but I was working with people in the community um, who are like, uh, like we call them long-term stay and some of them immigrants and so immigrant communities. So I really could understand the problems that they, that they face. I felt that my clients in the international childcare were very privileged. All our teachers are professionally trained, very international. They understand what they're doing. But when I talked with these families in these other communities, the immigrant communities, Moroccan communities, African communities, I saw a different side of uh, immigrants. Mm. I saw a people who were struggling to understand how things go. They're struggling to keep a balance of work because they have the burden of providing for their family here, but also providing for the family at home in Africa, mm. which I could also understand because I have the same but they also have the burden of trying to take their kids through the education system of the Netherlands. Although my kids are in international school, I could identify with the fact that when their kids are in a Dutch school and they don't have time or the motivation to study the Dutch because some of them think they're here temporarily and they think I'm gonna make some money and go back home and they never do. So I saw, I saw it in them and I saw it in their children that they, their children were kind of having no identity, no grounding, because the kids are speaking, for example, Dutch at school. They cannot get help with homework at home because the parents are not very well, you know, understanding Dutch. Mm. And when they come home, they have to be African. They are despised for trying to be Dutch at home. And when they go to school, they have to be Dutch, but they are seen as African. So they are in a kind of set. And I could see these things in the community, in the places where I went to talk. And I talked with people a lot. And so I thought we have a big problem here because these children are going to get back into the cycle of poverty. And I truly believe that in a few gen after a few generations, the immigrant communities would be no better mm. than where they are financially, socially, and in having their prospects expanded. I had the privilege that I can learn and teach about 
children growing up among cultures because all our clients are experts and we're specialists in that area. Mm. So I was training our staff members in that, how to deal with the kind of challenges that come. And I thought I can give back to the community. So that's why whenever they called me, I didn't charge because if I charged, they couldn't afford me. But then I really wanted that information to get there. Plus the fact that, of course, my child is also, my children are also international, but they are also still African. And I felt I need them to, re to really understand who they are, where they come from. And if anyone were to bully them or anyone were to ask them who they are, they should have a very clear and confident answer. And so I felt it was also vital that they can understand more about our culture and about our language. So in, in Uganda, we have lots of languages. So my husband and I don't speak the same language. And so it is also, we speak English to each other, which makes it difficult because uh, Uganda and generally Africa is a very patriar patriarchal society. So it means if I'm to teach the kids my language, which would be easier because I'm with them a lot. Yeah. If they go back to Uganda, the question will be, whose kids are these? Why can't they speak daddy's language? So we agreed that he's going to speak to them in the local language, actually. And he tried, but it's so difficult when, you know, he says it feels like he's speaking to people who don't understand a thing. So in the end, I thought, I need to learn it myself anyway. So I started to look for materials around that subject, learning Dutch, uh, learning uh, actually material in the local languages and i couldn't find any i found a few in uganda but the quality it's not something that you can almost sell at an international standard and yet i want these materials to be accessible by kids all over the world who are mainly growing up in europe in america in australia in china in japan not really in africa so i wanted something good quality something that could be accessed everywhere and there was none. I looked at Amazon. I looked at every online book so I couldn't find anything. I found things about African history, but that's not for kids. That's, it, that's literature. And I work with kids every day. I have an understanding of what a kid's book should look like. It should be colorful illustrations. It should be, it should be attractive for the child to read and simply written for the child to understand. So I knew what I wanted, but I couldn't find it. Mm. Mm. So I thought, I'm going to then do it myself. I'm going to start writing these books for these children who are growing up abroad and make sure that they can open a book and see a child who looks like them. Mm -hmm. My daughter herself was suffering an identity crisis, a beauty crisis, if I might call it, because she hates her hair, she doesn't like her skin, and she says uh, she looks different. She wants long, straight, blonde hair. And I thought I told her, you do understand that people like Anna and Elsa, those people are not real. But at the age of four to six, imagination and real is really it's the same thing. So I wanted also books where she can open and see herself. She can open a book and see herself in this book. And so I started to look at ways to write these materials. I'd never published anything. I mean, I wrote scientific uh, journals and stuff, but I'd never written a book in my life or published a book in my life. So I had to start searching. How do you publish a book? How do you go through the process? And again, my gathering years began. So eventually I found a publisher. I found my way and I said, I'm going to start with a simple book about, um, learning actually just a basic book because i see books every day about learning this language and that language how do you say pen how do you say book how do you say plate how do you say eat the basics how do you say uncle auntie so i wanted to write a book about the basics but very well illustrated and i don't speak the language so i had to employ my husband to translate the book so i designed the book and i didn't realize how expensive um publishing a book is especially if you self-publish because I approached some traditional publishers, this is a topic of no interest to them. So I couldn't get anyone who was willing to publish it uh, in the traditional sense. So I had to self-publish it, which is an expensive process because you pay for the package for illustrations and everything. So I sat, I talked with my husband and of course my husband, my husband is the realist. So when I want some reality check, I talk to him. So when I talked to him, he said, What's the point? 
who is gonna buy that book who wants to learn actually and all this money you probably will sell maybe five to ten copies so i told him it's a legacy Mm -hmm. I will put my savings into it. It's a legacy. I'll have less holidays. I'll have less of the things that I like, but I have it out there because you never know someone out there in America or somewhere is looking for this. And I really, truly believed in it. So I wrote it. And when it came out, it's, I mean, my publisher said, you have to advertise the book. You have to do a launch. And I'm thinking, I, I, I remember friends told me, you have to launch this book. But I was too busy at work. I was too busy trying to get life going. And one thing that I should have learned a long time ago is to, uh, to get help when I needed it. Help with housekeeping. Mm. Things like getting a cleaning lady. I hardly did that because Saturdays were spent cleaning and stuff and somebody telling me do a launch. I said, when do I do a launch? <laughs> so my first book, I didn't launch it. Partly also because I believed that it was for a few people. Mm. But I already started to write my second book, thinking I, I really want the kids to know what it's like to grow up with a grandma, what it's like to speak the way we speak. I really wanted them to know it. And so I wrote my second book, which is So Say Grandma. And that was for, for me more like a tribute to my grandma. But it, it's a book about sayings, African sayings. And uh, I selected only a few because, again, I write for kids. So I selected only a few which were related to, to kids, which was easily understood. I realized African sayings are very vulgar. <laughs> like the language is really strong. Like when I looked into my language, oh my God, they're talking about private parts. They're talking about women. And so I thought this, I cannot write this because, you know, but then I looked for the ones that are simple and for kids and which is easy to understand. And I wanted to put the story behind it. And I didn't want it to be the kind of book that my kids would look at. Because every time I was looking at what to write, I was looking at my kids. What would my kids really understand? I was looking, I didn't want them to look at it and say, oh, this is, this is just stuff belonging to Africa. I want it to be applicable in the contemporary sense. So mm -hmm. I used their stories. I used stories that they understand. In, in one of them, I used the, my daughter's illustrations. She loved to draw. So I told her the story. I would read it to them. I would read the manuscript to them. And then I remember the very first time, and I gave to some people, I think Irene, I gave you, I'm like, can you read it to the kids, see how it is? And the first time I read it to them, they're like, my, my daughter was asking too many questions about the hard words that I was using. And then I thought, oh my goodness, this is a bit complicated. I need to simplify it. So it gave me insight on what I need to do to make it simpler and easier for them to understand. So I did that and it took several revisions and it was going for about a year with, with, the, with the publishers sending back saying, do you have this ready? Because the publishers, they want to finish the job. So you send them the first part and they're like done in two days and they're like, where's the next part? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I haven't even started. So I learned a lot of lessons about publishing in that process. And by the time, uh, thanks to Corona, when we had the, the final closure, I had been stuck at a process of just the final edit, the fine tuning, and I didn't want to just give it in. And so I had that time to do that and finally sign it off. And as soon as they finished publishing it, I found mistakes. So I thought, ah, I can't do this again. And they say, yeah, if you need us to correct this, it's 120 euros. I say, you know what, just say it. Just do it. I'm not going to pay anymore. And again, the same question. My husband is saying, you're investing so much money in these books. You, are you going to make money? And I keep telling him, I, it's not about the money. I might make money or I might not make money, but I want this out there. Long when I'm gone, I want it to be out there. But it was almost like instant results because I get people who had, Christy was the first one to really like excite me. <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm reading the book. And she put it on Facebook and I'm like, oh, okay. And Christy has been my um, kind of push. She says, put it on, on Facebook, have a Facebook page. And I'm thinking, I don't have the time because I hardly have any time and uh, with, with a job and with everything. And I, I'm one person who does too many things. So Christy has been um, very helpful in really giving me the push sometimes to say, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that. And um, I begin to get more and more people calling me to talk about it. 
And so the purpose of my rest of my life, because again, these have been gathering years, just finding out who I am, what do I want to live for, is for me to be a part and a contributor in helping children growing up among cultures, wherever they are, to know who they are. It doesn't matter the race. It does not matter the, the nationality. As long as they're growing up in a culture where they're different, I would like them to know who they are. Because most people who know who they are and what they want and where they come from easily can identify where they're going. So that is the purpose of my life. And if somebody calls me and says, I, I would like you to talk about this topic, I am always ready. Because I grew up for the most part of my life really sure who I was. My mother and my father are from two different tribes. I think the most time that I was shaken in my life is when I came to Europe, because somehow I was a little bit lost for a while. The, the Dutch want you to integrate in, entirely, which is not a good thing, a bad thing. I want integration, but I do not want to integrate and lose myself. I want to pick the good things from here and pick the bad things from, from uh, the good things from there, eliminate the bad ones and just make my life the way I want it to be. And I want to meet people of different cultures and appreciate them and their cultures and what they bring to the table. And so for the first few years, I was a little bit shaken. Who am I? Especially that, you know, you, you try to find your way here, uh, to, you try to learn the language and somehow you lose yourself a bit because I'm a very optimistic person and I found that in Holland things were very pessimistic. Mm. So I firmly believe that if I didn't know who I was and if I didn't value where I was coming from and I keep saying I have something to give. So for the Dutch, I have something to give. They don't know about my food. I can teach them. I invite them. When I invite them, I'll cook my food. I'll not make sandwiches. They can eat that in their own home. So I have something to give. I have stories to tell. I have a lot to share and I will give it. And everyone picks out what they can. The first person, the very first person to buy my book was an Italian man, an 80 year old. His, his granddaughter bought it for him. She walks to me, she's like, this will blow my, grandma, my grandfather away because he lived in Africa and he can never stop talking about Africa. So when she saw the book, she's like, he will love this. And I'm like, oh my God. And then two days later, she said, oh, it has completely given him a new life. He's singing songs about Africa again. And I'm thinking, I didn't ex expect that. I really didn't. But that's, it's encouraging. It made me want to do more. So now I'm embarking on uh, writing my next book. And um, that is really, again, like I said, I really would like the little ones, the young ones growing up, to appreciate themselves and this is like a fairy tale because mm. they read cinderella they read uh, they read all these uh, alice in wonderland i want them to read about a girl in africa who has meets her prince and they live happily ever after but in it i want to to put to light the African tradition, marriage traditions, to make it contemporary, but also very traditional. What do you do when you meet a girl or a boy? Where do you, who do you talk to? Because we have all these cultures. You have to talk to your paternal auntie. You, you have to do that. But here, you know, of course you meet a girl and you, know, you do your own thing. You might not even tell your parents. So I want them to know how is it on the other side of the continent and they will live happily ever after. <laughs> they will marry and live happily ever after and, and in a simple language yeah. so I always have that of trying to simplify things and say it in a way that can be understood yeah. so that's my purpose in life the lessons I have learned along the way is that we really can do a lot and in last, uh, last week and the previous week's um, uh, talks that we had I also learned something that I am carrying with me every day we are not as different as we think and we are not the minority we are actually the majority how is that impacting my life I have been having some ideas and some we discussed with Vina and with Christy of how do you get your product onto the market we tend to think who wants what I have or who wants this who would want this 
but we don't realize there are many people out there who would want what you have. If you need it and if you're using it, then of course, someone else out there, like we're, we're not as different as we think, there will be someone out there who wants it. So to create that platform where we can share these things that are specific to our cultures and to our lives, share it out with everyone and really encourage everyone who is trying to do the same. So every time I see somebody who is doing something for multicultural kids, I just, uh, I will connect straight away and I will want to discuss with them how, what are they doing and how can they do it. So that's the purpose of my life. That's the story of my life. It has just started. I keep <laughs> telling people that I'm only 41. Wow. And if life will have its way with me, I'm probably going to live to be 80. That's probably. That's a comfortable age. So I still have a lot to do. That's true. And every 10 years I've noticed in my life, I change myself. I kind of reinvent myself. And that is always difficult for branding because I have been struggling. How do I brand myself? Who am I? I paid somebody to rebrand my website and I still don't know. Like, what do I put out more? Is it that I'm a writer? Is it the books? Is it that I give health talks? Is it the educational talks? Who am I? Because the first uh, part of my career life was easy. You go to school, study medicine, you practice medicine. What else is there to do? Mm -hmm. But this is a whole uncharted territory. These past 10 years have been me gathering info about myself. Who am I? What do I want to do? And so now I have a pretty clear picture of what I want to do. And I just need to package myself, package it and put it out there with confidence. Because again, I have reached a point of confidence where I believe I have something to give. So I want to be able to package myself with confidence. So I have to learn skills. I have to learn to be a social media person, which I'm not. But I have to learn that because we're in a social world. I was complaining to Christy the other day. I said, there's so many people who cannot find the link. Christy's like, they'll have to learn. And I'm thinking, uh, five years ago, we would have had a very long argument about that. But the world is moving on that. a very digital world. <laughs> so I have to learn that. Yeah. If I'm to be able to give what I want to give, if I'm able to help people that I want to help, I yeah. have to learn to be a social media person. I have to learn. I know how to market myself, but I have to learn where do I market myself. I have to do that. I have to kind of fully reinvent myself and uh, live the next 10 years in this new person and this new uh, career and this new me that I want to be and so I read a lot about transformation self-development I read and um, and everything I read I really try to practice it and I noticed it takes me about three years to completely assimilate something and make me that uh, that thing because my effort is sometimes half-hearted I'm, mm. I'm only human and sometimes I say I really want to do this I go to a seminar I say I'm gonna do that and then I come home and then I'm busy with cleaning working and everything and then it goes in the background and so I have to really develop that focus on being in one direction and going forward so those are for me things that I think if I'm to be what I want to be because I have now known what I want to be those are things that I am saying I have to do because I know in the next 10 years, I'm unstoppable. I have something to give. I'm hoping that these books eventually, once I have enough out there, will be made into little movies for kids, <laughs> cartoons. And why not? Why I not? Absolutely. To do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is really like, uh, when, when I see the way is quite wide open, I just need to figure out and get connected with the right people. And that's only a matter of time. No. So that's my story. No, and I would say thank you so much for that sharing. There are questions coming out in the chat box about your book. Where can we find it? What is the name? So um, for those who were asking, I would put up Moline's book. I hope everybody can see it. It's my own personal copy. Immediately I saw it because Moline's right. I don't get it so often that I get, it, get to a shop and I can get a book a movie that reflects something that I see myself and the kids can see themselves in. And Molin, you talk, you say this book is for kids. Yes, but I think it's really also for parents and adults because um, the words like discipline, self-control, community, um, air, 
it's 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 for me it's like parenting you have to figure out the essence of parenting so you can get it in bull.com amazon and there's another one site you gave as well and we can share the links and with also you. from my own website oh yes yeah 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 you're encouraging us to say do something give something don't think what can i get give and because out of that you'll be blown away you'll be surprised like Moline didn't think an Italian was going to buy her book. I didn't know an Italian booked your book first. <laughs> the, first the first client I ever got. But the Imagine. joy that it gave him is such a reward. Yes. And you don't see that. You don't expect that. So I see Rawia. Please go ahead. Well <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Hi. I just want to say thank you to Moline for sharing her story. And I appreciate very much your authenticity, uh, your simplicity, your optimism. And I really admire the fact that you uh, have come across a problem and you've taken a creative approach to solving it. You know, I, I resonate and relate very much to aspects of your story about identity issues and your child wanting to look like what she was seeing around her. And the fact that you took this initiative to write a book in order to make your child feel part of the world. Um, I think it's brilliant. You know, thank you so much. That's really very inspiring. And thanks for sharing. Thank you, Rawia. I just wanted to say she's reading two books and the third one is on its way. So, <laughs> yeah. Moline, I just love the way uh, you narrated your story. And, uh, you know, I also see similarities of how, how I went through my story. But, you know, every time you said something you did, you said, I started, mm. I looked for, you know, and I love that you found the solutions, you took the initiative and you didn't give up, you know, you kept going and you found your purpose. See where it has brought you. It's amazing to see how you transition to finding your purpose, you know, and probably this is something you would not have thought of 15 years ago where you would come. You know, what an amazing journey. I just, I just say that you inspire all of us to, to keep doing you know, to start, to take that initiative to keep going without giving up. Thank you, Vina. Um, I'm, I'm very much um, a, a fan of um, finding, and I follow a lot of people who are fans of finding our own solutions to our own problems. Because I come from a community, um, in the African community, maybe let me say Ugandan, because maybe other communities are different, where we're always looking for an external solution to our problems. Mm. And in my country, we always say government help us. Mm. And the government is busy helping themselves. Mm. So, and, and even you find that whenever somebody tries to find a solution for your problem, it may not be the solution you would have followed. So I'm also looking forward to um, maybe, I, I, I kind of like to work privately, which is maybe also a drawback because many people tell me, oh, you can start a stick team. You can start a stick team and you get money from the government mm. to do this. But then I always then, uh, because when, when you get money from somebody to do something, you have to do it their way. Mm. And you have to do it in the way that they think is the solution, which I mm. think is not always maybe the solution. Mm. So uh, if we as African community, as immigrant community, as a foreigners community can find ways to solve our problems in our way, within the limits of the law, of course, not to do anything illegal, but to find our own solutions from within, I think we would go very far. Absolutely. And so eventually I will work probably with the Hermente because I think there are a lot of programs that I think can be for, uh, for uh, career guidance, for example, for the kids mm. who go to Dutch schools. Mm -hmm. they, they, the career guidance they get, of course, is within the structure of the Dutch society. Mm. And more and more you have people trying to say, think of multiculturalism, think of, but we're still at the thinking stage. Yeah, we, we are. Uh, sorry to jump there. I mean, I think... I think this whole stuff, and sorry, I have to bring what's coming out from the U.S. with yes. George Floyd and a couple of other incidences now coming out. There's even this talk of, for instance, uh, Swata Pete and uh, uh, the whole celebration mm. with Sinterklaas being mm. relooked. 
And so maybe maybe we were in the thinking phase and now there's going to be this need for us to use our own voices to say, hey, yes, perhaps where we're having issues, you know, because you just rightly said integrates. Yeah, you integrate into something, but is it the best for yourself and for your children, for your family? Maybe not, yes. right? So why don't you allow us also to bring some of our own bits, you know, and share with you. So I think mm -hmm. here's an opportunity, ladies, in our community, if we get the opportunity, it could also just be write an article, you know, that expresses in a respectful way some things about your own personality, your own roots, your own culture. Because I think even the government in the Netherlands, while maybe with good intentions, they don't know how to deal with this stuff. It's easier yeah. to be polite and not say anything and hope everything goes away. But we I mean, have to have, have that no conversation. Idea what it's like to be, for example, African. They have no idea what it's like to, to have this problem. With very good intentions, they try to bring in programs to mm. solve some of the challenges for immigrants. They have very good intentions, yeah. but they have no idea. They can mm. only do what they think is the way to solve it. And we, have, we don't have enough people who are coming up with the solutions the African solutions or foreign solutions or Indian community, for example, there are not so many people. There are a lot of people who are identifying the problems and beating the drum of the problems, mm -hmm. but there are fewer people who are coming up and saying, this is how we can let's solve do this. Yeah. this. Yeah. Let's make a program for career guidance. So I have an idea, for example, um, a, a very old wise man told me before he passed away a few years ago. He was from Uganda and had lived here for almost 30 years. And he said, if you ask an average immigrant child, what do you want to be? They will tell you either I want to be a barber, because those days when they were growing up, you know, most of the people who had money in their community were either barbers or owning a shop. And uh, in, in Holland, we don't have much of a drug problem, so you will not hear <laughs> drugs on the list. But, you know... They, they, they don't think they can be a lawyer, they don't think they can be an engineer, and neither does um, if their parents also think, oh, you know, this is, this is the ceiling, mm. like it kind of sets a ceiling, but there is no ceiling. There should but be no ceiling. The foundation yeah. when they're in school, understand the system that in this system, things mm. are determined very early. Mm. By the time it's the child is eight, if you've not been mm. in school, it's already determined. So get into the system, understand it, and guide your child. But we do have, if you look at kids growing up in the expert community, we have parents working for Shell, we have parents working for EPO, we have, uh, I mean, I mean, immigrant families. Yeah, for EPO. We have, we have them engineers, lawyers, doctors in those areas. But these two communities never meet. <laughs> so the kids growing up in a Dutch school cannot imagine that there can be a black engineer. But my husband is one of them. If you tell my child, my, being an engineer, it's not something that he sees out of the way. But how do we get these engineers, these lawyers, to come to these career sessions, to talk to these guys, for mm -hmm. them to see there is an engineer who looks like me, there is a pilot who looks like me, there is a, 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 a CEO who looks like me. You can be a CEO. What does it mean? And what do you have to do so that we can remove this ceiling that seems to be within the immigrant communities? The Dutch government can try to do it, but it's not their problem. Mm. It's not their problem. They also have a kind of level of expectation. That's why they say, what is the level of education of your, of your parents? Because they don't expect that you'll go higher than that. No. So how do we break the ceiling? There are all these kinds of programs. There are I these think you've just, you just shared, a, yeah, you've just come up with another idea yeah. <laughs> that I don't even think I was thinking about that there's, but you're right. There's, we, last week we talked about class in Europe <laughs> and I think you've just talked, touched on a topic of class within the immigrant community. That's yeah. something most of us, maybe we're not aware of, but it's definitely there. There is, it's, it's, it's a big and thing. I think and as an adult, when you move with your children, you already struggling with the language, with the system, and that kind of makes the average African who is quite loud in his own setting or her own setting. When you come to a foreign place, you kind of like, okay, I don't know what to say. This not, I don't, I'm too embarrassed to say anything. And then you can imagine what that does to a child who sees mm -hmm. that their parents are not allowed to, they, they don't, none of them are not allowed but they don't even allow themselves to freely express what they can do and what they can become. 
So yeah. I don't have a solution, but you just touch on that I have a very lot of critical, critical point because it's true. I read something on, in, in the book about how if we don't invest in people and telling them that you matter, yeah. and especially children, they tend not to uh, live up to their fullest potential. They don't, they don't know how to do it. They don't see it because no one is telling them you can do it. Keep going. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if indeed immigrant, immigrants come, they have a difficulty with language, difficulty with settling, they're already struggling. And then mm -hmm. a teacher tells them, which tends to happen when they're about 12, going to high school, that this is where you're going to stop. This is the mm -hmm. max you can reach. I bet you someone like me who hated school, I'll just be like, yeah, this is where I'm going to stop. If no one is telling me I'm going to, you, you know, you, you must go to university. My parents drilled education in my brain saying, you will study. You will, mm -hmm. and you will, you must get one of the top scores. You cannot, they kept saying that to me. And meanwhile, yeah. if someone is telling me, oh, you, you just get average, it's okay. Yeah. You're most likely going to just stuck at average. And so if you mm -hmm. write smart molding, I think that's something, and even maybe we ourselves as women, we need someone to tell us, you can do it. Yeah. You have an idea, you want to start a, a, maybe don't think business is a big thing. Just start with that idea. Like you said, I start, I want to do this. I see this is a problem. What can I do? There are no books out there. I'm going to write my own book. Even your husband is saying, why are you wasting more resources here? You know, why well, you still kept going. So maybe we also need to tell ourselves, we can do it. We can start with that idea. We don't need to go out there and figure out, find who's going to solve that problem. Just start. Yeah. And it's also about speaking. I find out sometimes it's just yeah. to tell someone else, I have this idea. What can I do yeah. with it? it and I think and Melvina, Melvina mentioned something last, last week about you thinking, who needs this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't even think I have a market. Mm. You might have a wonderful idea. The lady who made this for me, very easy because I always have bad hair days because uh, that's also an area I need to invest in hair. <laughs> but uh, I've been telling her, you, 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 you can do it. And it's like, but who's going to buy it? I said, I will. I said, you make me one. So I made my orders like, oh. And I noticed that after I bought one or two, she started advertising on Facebook. Okay. Because I told her, this has been the lockdown. Do you know we don't have saloons? Yeah. So do it. We need hair cover, please. And so now she did several, and uh, I had some colleagues from my work buy some. And, and, and now she begins to say, oh, now she's advertising and she's coming up with more product. I mean, somebody to tell you, people need this. Do it. I mean, at least give it a try. Yes. I don't know if anybody wants to share one more thing from the audience. So let me know. If, okay, I, I see e class. E -class. Just one more, and then we will have to take a break. Okay. Uh, what I want to say, I had contact with Moni because she writing books, and I have obsession with books. So I find it very nice to contact with her to have her book, and um, I also write my idea uh, on in the internet and WordPress and I notice people are following the, the international movement of black people and I, uh, the, uh, the uh, union who, uh, who I can say that European Union has mm. visited my website wow. 311 uh, times time, time people the, they are they are watching the movement and and they are uh, I think they are trying to figure out what hold people to talk mm. the way they talk the way they dressed so uh, just keep on and I also I also write to the president of uh, of the Netherlands uh, I had a question why you did just let us our kin our children to study 14 because the women are the girl are the best but the basics of the life not men they make the school uh, program uh, they adopt the school for for men not for women mm. so i asked this question i if you give too much books to children you can make it easy to everyone 
14 because now nowadays the children go early to school they have to work they have to go to work and they have to go to school and they and they make the school program is the majority from the elite even the people at at universities they stop with their with their uh, university to go work i guess when i noticed this when i came to the netherlands and the internet give me the uh give me uh, the time to read and to figure out what is going on now i'm i'm i love my culture it's not still it is it is not only children who has a problem we the adult and the, the out the papa we and have, mama we have yeah, also parents. problem yeah the parents we have problems so we have to if we reflect our peace in our mind and that will reflect in children in our children so we have to solve our problem and to make it easy to children to understand and i think many people write books now about black culture so it is one culture and now i'm comfortable to say to the people the we are, the whole world is african i just say it <laughs> yeah thanks the black, the black come first god and the and the creator make black people first and then come the other nation and that is obvious in every way in india in china in america because i agree with you that we need to educate ourselves i mean uh, history of all our history is really deep and far mm -hmm. but we need to keep educating ourselves so that we can educate the kids and the kids might end up also educating us because they learn also something new and bring to us. I agree. And that's why I said we are the ones also part of that change to make it yeah. happen. We, they, I don't, any good person who looks at the history, looks at what is happening. Sometimes they cannot understand because it doesn't, it doesn't um, happen to them. So they yeah. don't understand it. And that is where we have the role to speak up and say, the way you've spoken to me, the way you've treated me, the what you've said, it's not right. It is mm -hmm. our role to say that to them and then to get them to understand it. And then they, you might find out they were not trying to be you know, disrespectful or discriminate. Mm -hmm. It's just what is human nature. Human nature tends to go with what it knows. Mm. I tend to want to stay with women or with people I'm more comfortable with. Mm. I will not tend to want to stay with men dressed in suits, even though that's what my work makes me do. I just naturally don't tend to do that. So unnaturally, I have to push myself to be at a table where it's all men, it's all white men, it's all older white men, but I will stay there and try to speak. It's, it's something you have to try and do a little bit. Or sometimes it's all women of uh, different nationalities and I'm the only odd one, maybe. I'm just saying we need to speak and find a way to speak. We need to do that. Yeah. I think if I may say the, the last thing uh, on policy making, they do a lot of research in the Netherlands and come out with programs and they know the issues. But the ones who are the on the zooker, you know, the policy makers, there needs to be diversity there for people to understand the difficulties. Right now, that is not there. It's completely, it's completely native Dutch researchers it's it's uh, it's very very few researchers who are multicultural maybe from suriname uh, but or from the caribbean but it's so little so that is the change that we in voice of that sorry to interrupt you i attended a workshop uh, recently and they were trying to understand the the issues of immigrants and africans in particular and there were the lady who presented from the ministry of justice there's a lady from the IND and lady from the Ministry of Justice. And she was literally calling and begging, says, come on, the people who make the laws, because she's Dutch. So the people who make the laws, they're making laws that apply to mainly the, the majority. So the, 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 the top class kind of make the laws, which are for the lower class, because we do have classes, that's for sure. And he was saying, if you know any African, who is qualified and would like to work in the Ministry of Justice. We don't have anybody there. Not many people apply. If you know 
anybody who would like to work in the ministry. Yeah. They're literally looking for people of African background, not Caribbean, not Suriname, because those are there, but they don't have any Africans. And mm -hmm. I can't believe that none of our children have studied and are qualified to work there. They are there. We just don't think that Ministry of Justice is I think a there's no, there's a big gap. There's a big gap. And the police was also crossed. asking. So they gave me their business cards. I said, if you know anybody, please pass it around. Let people apply for the jobs in the police and in the, in the Ministry of Justice. And I'm thinking, okay, I go on a search then. So, yeah, we so don't ladies, there you go. We, we, are, we have people who are looking for jobs. Apparently, mm -hmm. there are opportunities. So see how this conversation has gone yes. but um i would have to stop it here and then i'm going to ask that we take only a five minutes break yes okay five minutes shall we take a break and lots of conversation we'll come back <laughs> and then we'll have vina thank you molin thank you Please stay in touch with the work, amazing work that she sustains, is doing currently in this region. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at the same name, She Sustains. And there you will find information on how to get in touch with the beautiful sustainable products by Christy and the natural soaps by Vina as well as Vina's consultancy firm. I thank you for listening. Bye for now.